Hello and welcome again to another episode of Fekava Vet Chat. My interviewee tonight is um, a colleague here from the UK, which is very, very hard to describe with just a few words because he has done just so much, not only for the veterinary profession, but also for all, for a lot of different aspects of animal welfare. He is a multi-award winning uh, veterinary surgeon. He has been vet of the year in the UK in 2014, 15 and 16. And um, he is also um, the recipient of the Prime Minister's uh, Points of Light Award in 2020. Uh, something we want to talk about a little bit later. So hello and welcome to Mark Abraham. Hello, Mark. Guten Abend, Wolfgang. Come on, keep going. Noch ein bisschen mehr Deutsch. Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. Meine Großmutter war Deutsch. So, ich spreche ein bisschen. That is, that is very impressive, actually, because... Wie geht's dir, Wolfgang? Wie geht's? Mir geht es sehr gut. Vielen Dank. That threw you, didn't it? A little bit worn after a whole day with operations and consulting, but always happy talking being to a, you. Being a tear arts in the north of England, is that right? Well, at the moment, in fact, yes, I am. So I had my clinic so for over 20 years in the south of England, but I've, mm -hmm. I've never been up here in the north in Yorkshire, actually not very far away from the practice of James Harriet. And I think sort of, as we can't travel or not supposed to travel abroad at the moment, so I thought it's a it's a good opportunity to do a workation. Mm -hmm. So I'm working in different parts of the UK with different UK teams, and then at the same time on the weekend, sort of I I enjoy the great outdoors the UK can can offer. And I can only say everybody who is seeing this this uh, um, uh, YouTube uh, program or, for example, is listening to the podcast. Once we can travel again. Don't be put off by Brexit. Come to the UK. You can make great holidays here, and uh, there are great uh, uh, um, the areas of, of great national uh, uh, natural beauty, despite the fact that this is also quite a densely populated country. And uh, people over here know how to have a good time. So SBS AVA <laughs> Congress, for example, shows every year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm. And I'm based down in Brighton on the south coast mm -hmm. and just like Yorkshire we also have some fantastic scenery around and uh, some great dog walks and uh, yeah it's a beautiful part of the world so yeah come to England there we've done our bit for the uh, the English tourist board yeah yeah so for for all our viewers or listeners who are not from the UK um, just to explain Mark is <coughs> is a real household name within the veterinary profession, but also uh, with pretty much all pet owners in the UK, because Mark is a champion for a lot of different uh, welfare initiatives. And uh, uh, that is what I think we want to talk a little bit about tonight, and then possibly also about some of the awards. I mean, it's, uh, the, the, the sheer list of awards, sort of, it's just, I mean, absolutely <laughs> incredible. And uh, um, yeah, let's see how we get on. Normally, we uh, aim to have about 20 minutes for our 
the Kava Vetchets. This one might take a little bit longer. Mm. So, Mark, mm -hmm. before, we, we, before we start sort of with veterinary medicine, sort of why, how did it come to you? Was it always the thing you wanted to do, uh, veterinary medicine? Was there, was there no alternative or... Just, just tell us a little bit about sort of Mark before vet school. And so, then... so, so baby Mark yeah. uh, was obsessed with animals. I was very fortunate to have parents that also loved animals and got me out and about and interested in nature. Uh, and and ha I had pets growing up. And then I think when I was three years old, so my mum tells me my pet tortoise had a wound on its leg and in the wound was a, a maggot a blue bottle larvae and I managed to get the maggot out with a twig uh this is when I was three and the leg healed mm. up and the tortoise did very well and it made a recovery and I got this sort of uh, feeling of making animals better mm. and uh I remember it very vaguely but my mum uh, you know stresses that it definitely happened um and so I got the feeling of making animals better my uncle was a vet so I knew about the veterinary profession but the two sides of the family weren't that um, that much in communication. So I knew about the, being a vet. I loved making animals better. I was obsessed with nature and being outside and playing and eggshells and bird feathers and all that sort of thing, butterflies. Um, and it was the only thing I ever wanted to do. So it was it was literally from a very early age. All I ever wanted to do was to help animals. So learning and, and studying and doing all the sciences and obsessed with getting into vet school is all I ever wanted to do. So I was a very geeky, nerdy, uh, studious child and teenager. And then I got into vet school, which was the dream. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, then I kind of, kind of had my teenage years in my late 20s because I moved to France <laughs> and I... I was working in bars and in a ski resort and teaching snowboarding and DJing. So I did my crazy stuff sort of yeah. the wrong way around. Okay. Um, so yeah. you, had, you had your degree, veterinary degree already in your pocket. Yeah, when you <laughs> said, okay. I had my vet degree. I, yeah. uh, I went on a holiday to, I think it was a Voreas or somewhere in Switzerland. And I remember the snow being really bad and thinking, how can I be assured of going on holiday and, and having good conditions? And I thought I'd just moved to France. So I had my vet degree. I'd been in mixed practice for about 18 months in the UK. Um, and then I moved to Val d'Isere. And I, my first job in Val d'Isere was cleaning toilets in a bar, hanging mm. up coats, yeah. uh, and learning how to be a barman and a DJ and a snowboard instructor, and just generally being behaving as I probably would have if I was normal back in my teens. So mm. I used to... I used to um, do the winter in, in France in ski mm. resort and then come back and locum uh, the rest of the year in the UK. And I did that three times. And it was a great way to live in your late 20s. Well, it's the thing is, I've, I've, I love this. And this is, I mean, so well, uh, it was so alien for sort of for my peers. Uh, you see, I've, I, I, I qualified in, uh, in Germany and uh, then... I did, I did something sort of similar. When I finished at vet school, I thought, well, you had Latin at school and Latin is really good for pretty much nothing because they, they teach you terminology, which is ancient Greek and Latin sort of, uh, and, uh, uh, and even the students that didn't have Latin at school sort of coped quite well with it and, and were sometimes possibly better than, than us. But it is a good base to learn another foreign language. So then I thought, well, you can work 
all your life. So what you do is, I went to Central America, I went to Guatemala, and I um, uh, uh, I studied Spanish. So I learned Spanish. Sort of, Fantastic. Uh, Sort of, um, sort of moved in with a Guatemaltecan family, sort of had uh, six hours a day, one-to-one -one, uh, tuition in Spanish, um, which was absolutely important if you want to survive in Guatemala. You can't, and if you live on a low budget, you need to speak Spanish. And so did also something completely different, had a little bit of a bad conscience because I saw, ah, you're losing everything also, but no, 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 it's, Unless you are, I don't know, five or 10 years out or something like that. So then that might be possibly a different thing. But if you take a break for half a year or for a year or something like that, stay a little bit sort of in touch, read, possibly visit some local colleagues or something like that, but do something different, especially when you are in your 20s. Don't worry. There are so many years that will come in your profession where you um, uh, where you will work endless hours, and it broadens your horizon. And really I met does. so many colleagues who then pursued right away after university. You have to get your first job, and then you have to get your second job. Then you have to get a partnership, and then once you're in the partnership, you you are then sort of in this in this in this treadmill and and i am really grateful for all the the, the months i spent abroad sort of uh, before i actually started with clinical work and uh, yeah okay looks a bit strange on your cv <laughs> but i mean come on we all have only one life and uh, you have oh, to for make sure for sure and, and the other thing i found really helpful when i was especially when i was working behind the bar and I was working sort of après ski and, and, and dealing with rich people and poor people and French people and English people and Scandinavians and seasonaires and people on holiday, obviously, for the week. The, your communication skills are developed so quickly because they have to. Your sense of anticipation of people's needs, which can be something as simple as seeing the couple that came in last night and having a beer and a gin and tonic waiting on the bar when they, when they reach you. And I found that as, as a locum vet, when people are seeing someone completely different, as well as being an emergency vet for 10 years, which is was what I was when I came back. Um, and again, people are seeing a totally different mm -hmm. vet to their normal vet. The ability to, to reach common ground in your communication skills and earn trust and loyalty from complete strangers were, were, were skills that could easily be transferred from sort of working behind the, in a bar environment. So that really helped, as you say, it's something completely mm. different, but it really does enhance your communication skills. And I think when you're in the veterinary profession, especially, especially sometimes in the emergency veterinary profession where things are a little bit tenser, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's not trust issues, but people are seeing someone completely different and you've got to you've got to cross that bridge quicker than maybe before in terms of trust and communication um i just found it really helpful and um funny enough doing the medias because i did obviously i will talk about it but i do a lot of media stuff as well and the the feeling of educating people on a big scale on some of the big tv shows also is about communication breaking it down making it digestible yep. simplifying stuff being uh, non-patronizing. Mm. Um, and I think communication is something that I'm really, really passionate about. Uh, and it's something that our profession 
often gets criticized for, you know, not explaining things properly, maybe charging too much, maybe keeping people waiting. And they're all things that can be quite easily tackled just by improving communication skills, not just for vets, but for practices in general, as, as you well know, because I've worked at your practice once and your the communication oh. of your mm -hmm. practice was phenomenal, yes, yeah. was phenomenal. And I loved working there because the mm -hmm. communication was so good and it just made the whole environment much more positive and proactive and just respectful of both staff and clients and of course the animals well it is it is i mean the 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 area of my clinic was in sort of there 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 were a lot of sort of okay demanding clients but mm. then also people you could really sort of uh, involve in uh, uh, nicely sort of they were they, they were what shall I say? Very keen to get involved in the decision-making process, and mm. uh, it was. I mean, uh, there's some of my clients. I mean, that's, you have you, you have uh, 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 human medical professionals, for example. So I mean, yes, you mm. draw on their expertise, uh, expertise as well. I mean, there are certain things. Okay, you say no, sorry, <laughs> works differently in veterinary medicine, but sometimes you can learn just so much from other people. I mean, our, our mutual friend, Beverly Cuddy, for example. I mean, mm -hmm. Beverly was one of my clients. And uh, Beverly is the, the editor of the, the largest dog uh, uh, magazine in the, uh, in the UK. And whenever I had Beverly, uh, Beverly in, my, in my consulting room, sort of, the nurses were already sort of, uh, instead of 15 minutes, of, it's half an hour consult. So, but I tell you, it was really both ways so informed so well connected i mean sort of we had so interesting conversations with her i mean obviously she had also her dogs had complex medical needs mm. so, so, so that needed some time but but it's also so somebody with her wealth of knowledge and background it was i mean every i cherished every uh, every in each and every consultation with her mm. it was and I had quite a few clients like that, which was possibly <laughs> the reason why I'm not the, I wasn't the fastest <laughs> consulting vet, but I had a lot of fun also and enjoyment out of sort of my job. And I mean, come on, when 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 you did the look on for my practice, I know that all the nurses were upset when I came back from holidays because <laughs> Now he's back again. Oh, we want Mark back again. It's just, you really spoiled it for me. I, I so I'm so sorry, not. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were lovely and they were welcoming, and you know, yeah. I loved your, you loved your, you know, the clients were lovely, and uh, it is, it was a really nice part of the world. Also, really yeah. nice team, really, really mm -hmm. nice team. I was very, very, very lucky. And mm. I only, only just started campaigning then because I remember. Yeah. I used to uh, photocopy quite a lot of stuff and I, I was just beginning my dog shows back in, mm -hmm. I mean, the pup aid had just started and they were so supportive of what I was doing, um, which is rare when you go to practices because, you know, oh, that's the locum, he's just doing his thing. But they were very interested, very engaged, and um, it was a nice feeling to have that support around, not just for the vetting side, but also the beginning of my campaigning journey. Yeah, 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 and that that was the the, the the point I would like to explore a little bit further. I mean, we have now here somebody who has studied, who had a little bit of a good time after studying, then works as an emergency vet for 
10 plus years. And then comes this point where we suddenly sort of go into just what shall I say, sort of in, into campaigning, mm. into a more become a, a more public figure. Um, uh, what made the change? So I was, what, what... when I was doing emergency vet work, I got involved in the media and I started doing, working on some of the big shows, mainly the Paul O'Grady show, which was on Channel 4 Live to about 6 million people. On uh, And I did, every two weeks I'd have a pet clinic on his show. And he was a stand-up comedian, quite famous. Still is run, mm. does the does the show with Battersea um, he, uh, he Dogs Home. Great. Very nice guy, exceptionally. And I was also a comedy obsessive. I, I loved stand up. I did a stand up course. So to okay. work alongside someone like that, and we had such a great energy and connection. And I'd set him up with loads of jokes, and he'd set me up with one. And we, I get the <laughs> audience laugh as a professional on a guest on the show, which was quite rare. Um, but I'd have a pet clinic and I'd go around with owners and the celebrities and Paul, the host, and talk about various pet things and problems and mainly preventative medicine, uh, vaccination and checking under your rabbit's bum, you know, twice a day in the summer, just simple things, but and but packaged in a way that people could mm. understand and 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 it, hopefully they, they'd share the information too. Terrifying to do live TV with no media training. Apps every single time, terrifying. But it was more important to educate mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. do what was right for the animals than whatever I was feeling. And I, once you get into it, it was really enjoyable. Um, the reason I say that is because the TV stuff and having a media profile really helped with the campaigning, which was to come. So then one night in my mm -hmm. emergency clinic in 2009, I saw the moment, if you like, which changed everything was, I was on a night shift and I saw eight puppies coming into my practice, all with Parvo they were all coming with a different owner from a subscribing vet practice to our emergency clinic and it's as you know as anyone watching who's a vet eight cases of parvo in one night is very very rare um anyway yeah. six made it two passed away sadly um but it and they all look quite similar these puppies and obviously the 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 work that goes into trying to save a parvo puppy and the money that's spent and the emotional um, the emotional toll on the owners, especially. Um, and I just thought this isn't right. And so when the dust had settled, I contacted them all, found out where these puppies had come from. And unsurprisingly, they had come from a third party puppy dealer, which was licensed just outside where I live in Brighton. And they were buying in puppies from licensed puppy farms in Wales. So the whole thing was completely legal, but it wasn't ethical. And um, so I went undercover and I was pretending to buy a puppy for my girlfriend. I think at the time I was, I was in, I, can I look at this one? And can I look at that one? And I was holding them and asking them questions. And I was so impressed really about how good they were at their sales patter. Anyway, I didn't buy one. Um, and, and, and it just didn't sit right with me that this was allowed to happen. Obviously the third party barn, it was full of straw, proper reservoir of parvo. Um, and so I, I decided to do something about it rather than just saying, oh, I'll forget about it or, or someone else is going to deal with it. So because I had a media profile, the only thing I knew how to what to do, because I'd been invited to so many charity dog shows at that point as a TV vet, you know, 
judging dog shows like fun dog shows, Waggiest Tail, Child's Best Friend. Mm. And I mm. thought, how about if I organize a dog show where the celebrities are the judges and we raise awareness about puppy farming, third party selling, the benefits of rescue, how to buy responsibly. And so that was that was the, the idea. And, and the first one was in 2009, which was called the World's Biggest Puppy Party. And we got various celebrities involved, just like Zed List and a few local politicians. And then I, then I moved it to a better venue and, we, and I called it Pup Aid. And I called it Pup Aid after Live Aid because Live Aid was obviously mm -hmm. music raising awareness about Africa. And I was also using music to have a dog show that raised awareness about puppy farming. And this started in Brighton, uh, two years in Brighton. Then we moved it to Primrose Hill in London. It's like one of the most exclusive open spaces in, in London. It's a Royal Park, uh, very, very famous. And the celebrities got bigger and, and <laughs> I mean, Ricky Gervais and Brian May and uh, we'd have reality TV stars and pop stars and they'd all come. Wasn't and they'd Zoe wasn't Zoe um, no, Zoe, Zoe, Zoe wasn't involved yeah. in the pup aid. She helped me uh, open. She helped helped me open a branch practice a few years later down in Brighton. She came along. Mm. She's she's been a friend okay. for years. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, we had this celebrity judge dog show with music and and food. It was like a one day festival, and we had the paparazzi there all day taking pictures and a VIP enclosure. And then at one o'clock in the afternoon, we'd have the parade of ex rescued breeding dogs. And, and everything went quiet. So we had, you know, there was in Primrose Hill, if, if anyone uh, is aware, it's like the most, uh, let's say, affluent part of London. Um, so there was lots of French Bulldogs, obviously, and lots of chihuahuas and lots of amazing cockapoos and just with incredible collars and clothes on. And all of a sudden we have this parade of very, very, in, in the true sense of the word, pathetic, sort of sorry, ex-rescued breeding dogs so mammary glands along the floor looking very scared some of them had to be carried cesarean scars broken teeth you know just terrible specimens of you know large-scale commercial dog breeding and uh, and everyone started crying it was incredible every single year we did it for 10 years every time they'd start crying people we could hear people sobbing it was quiet I do this sort of speech rallying call. This is what we're here for. This is the evidence. So it was a great way of raising awareness. Um, it got bigger and bigger on social media and um, at the dog show. And then I knew we were making an impact, but it just wasn't enough. It was one weekend a year in September in London, and we had all the demographics being uh, reached. So we'd have soap stars, as I said. We'd had highbrow Ricky Gervais. We'd have reality tv to get to the tabloid generation so my aim was always to educate on every single level um, but it wasn't really enough in terms of putting an end to puppy farming so we were promoting the best way to get a dog which is obviously to see puppy with its mum in the place it was born interacting uh, or to go to rescue so we mm -hmm. had this uh, so that spun off a, what's called a where's mum campaign we use the hashtag where's mum to encourage people to ask where mum was plus the hashtag adopt and then um, I realized that we were making a difference, but we weren't changing any laws. And, and for someone who was a nature nerdy, geeky science boy, who was who really struggled to interact with adults when I was younger, even people of my own age, I was very, very reclusive, very introvert. 
um, all, all of a sudden thinking, right, I've got to do something more. And I remember one of my local MPs uh, said to me, who had actually judged the first ever uh, dog show, helped judge, and she said, come up to London, I want to talk about your campaign because I just helped her get a rescue dog. I'd, give, I'd advised her family about getting a dog. She got a rescue dog. So I went up to London and um, the first, one mm. of the first times I went to London to Westminster, um, it was the scene, remember the scene in Gladiator when they go to Rome for the first time and they go in the, in the Colosseum and they're looking up going, what is this place? And that was me in Westminster because it's I had, I had never been there. I had no no need to go there no desire to go there politics was something that just other people did um so I, I had a chat with her and she suggested i do my first e-petition which was very new at the time the second time i went i won't go through all the times but the second time i was so inexperienced in going to westminster that i took my mum and my grandma to meet an mp right it was like we'd won a competition on a cereal packet or something so i learned I went from zero to over 300 visits to Westminster on every day off being a vet uh, from, from, from practice uh, in about six years. I learned how to campaign. I learned how to lobby. I learned how to meet MPs. I learned how to do e-petitions. Um, one of the dog shows in 2014, I think it was, I noticed this tiny little Cavalier King Charles Spaniel being carried um by a girl and I, I just there was something about the double act that was just so beautiful the dog was terrified it had only just been rescued from a puppy farm but the care that was being given to her by this by her owner was incredible and that dog was lucy so lucy was a cavalier king charles spaniel rescued from a welsh licensed puppy farm uh, at five years old um she'd had uh, she had arthritis she had epilepsy um dry eye separation anxiety but she just loved everybody around her and I thought this huge personality uh, around humans when it's humans that have tortured her effectively and we kept in touch and she kept coming to the dog shows and we'd meet up in various dog shows and events and um, Lucy the Rescue Cavalier is actually a Facebook page which still exists sadly she passed away a few years ago but Lucy Lucy's owner Lisa was an amazing example of how to raise awareness about puppy farming with nothing so she'd go to events and she'd meet celebrities mm. and mm. and built up this fantastic Facebook uh, uh, page, which was basically raising awareness about puppy farming and raising awareness about rescue. So I was starting to surround myself with people that you would had no resources, but were able to raise awareness on a massive scale. Beverly, who we've mentioned, also very helpful. We've got uh, Linda and Sue, who... Uh, volunteered for an organization organization called Carryad in Wales, um, Julia in Folkestone, uh, Sarah Clover near Birmingham. We had Philippo sadly passed away in Sheffield. So there was about six of us campaigners all working for the same thing, which we decided was to ban third party puppy sellers, puppy and kitten sellers. So for example, pet shops, mm. anywhere that sells without yeah. the mum as a first step in making all breeders accountable. And, and that was the campaign. And we started in 2013 and we got it over. We, during, we, we faced obstruction of, after obstruction after obstruction from the pet industries, from some of the biggest charities, from government, from all sorts of directions. 
a big lobby said go against that. There's just, I mean, it's it's it, it, it's a multi-million uh, pound industry, definitely. So if it was, if, it if was not even more. I mean, it, so, it was. I mean, it was incredible. And um, people watching, if you, if you do want to learn more, I did write uh, write the whole 10-year campaign up as a book, which came out last year. It's called Lucy's Law. There she is, Lucy. Mm. It's the same official rosette that I wore tonight. Mm. Um, one of the most incredibly brave, funny, just delightful dogs to be around, considering what she's what mm. she'd been made to do and, and what she'd been through. And, and we rebranded the campaign pretty much in the last 18 months to call it Lucy's Law in her honour after she passed away um, and mm -hmm. eventually became mm -hmm. law in, in 2019. Uh, and, and, uh, it was law and then it passed into legislation and then last spring in April it actually became law actually uh, in force in 2020. So it was a 10-year campaign. We got it over the line in England. It's now uh, coming in Wales in uh, September, Scotland in September. It's being written in Northern Ireland. It's influencing laws in the States. Um, it's just incredible. And yeah, I mean, Lucy was an amazing dog. and I can't think of a better dog to, to honour you know, with the campaign and with the law change, and she'll always be remembered. But it's important to realise it is the first step. There's there's plenty more work that needs doing. But for us, for us campaigners, us grassroots campaigners, it was all about making breeders accountable. You know, and 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 that is the most important thing. You can build on that. You can build anything more on that. But it was always to make them accountable. And the the alternative, which is what some of the other organisations that were blocking us. We're, we're campaigning for if you like was to license pet shops better to license dealers better but we know that there's no way of licensing that can ever improve animal welfare to a point where it's appropriate or even acceptable to sell via a third party without mum and we're out without the, the and away from where the mum was born so it's a huge breakthrough and it was a huge team effort from campaigners and celebrities the public ethical charities and organizations so many mps uh, and ministers and yeah we got it over the line so incredibly proud and do you know what you played a, a part in the whole story as well when you invited me to Estonia and you saw some of the scrutiny that some of those um, veterinary organizations you know were asking me questions and it was fine mm. because that's what we'd experienced but it was um, you know you were part of the the solution as well in the campaign well so thank because you because I think it was a leading example what can be achieved and that was something really good that came out of the UK where really the, the EU uh, other EU countries should have taken note and and then and, and hopefully they will progressively take note I mean I'm I'm working now maybe they will also part-time uh, uh, do veterinary telemedicine and uh, we quite often sort of interview sort of new dog owners and I would say I mean and uh, do that in, uh, in Germany and in Austria. And I would say that probably 22, no, probably more 30% of the, uh, uh, the new dogs, uh, um, uh, the new puppies are coming from abroad, pre predominantly Eastern Europe. So they are definitely bred uh, uh, for uh, purely commercial reasons. And it's a huge yes. amount of puppies. Mm -hmm. The the last year has been spent campaigning to ban the import of puppies under six months coming in from, from Eastern Europe and from elsewhere. 
and next month there should be some exciting news uh, from Westminster on that one. Lucy's Law Part Two. Okay, looking yeah. forward to that. And and and, and the reason okay. for the six looking the reason forward. for the looking six months forward. limit. The reason for the six months limit, as you know, six months is when the puppy's secondary teeth come through. So it's the only thing that you can actually, um, that you can't falsify, you know, passports, documents, pieces of paper, it's microchips, you know, super glued onto collars. It can all be falsified, but the teeth mm. you can't. And so teeth mm. has to be the only way of, um, of getting a, a successful enforcement, let's say, because it's obviously uh, mandatory visual checks post-Brexit. And also the six months gives the, uh, an opportunity for the rabies injection to be given twice, so a proper course rather than just one, which has been proven to mm. be ineffective. Uh, and it also will take out illegal puppy smuggling because you can't actually sell a puppy that's under six months because as soon as it goes to the vet, the vet goes, it's too young, where'd you get it from? And launched an investigation. So I there's mean, a deterrent there. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that, that sort of divides and also pretty much sort of the people sort of that, that, that really want to, uh, to have a dog and not just a puppy. A lot of people buy a puppy and are later surprised that a dog, uh, that, they, that they have a dog. But I mean, if you get a dog with six months, if you really want to have a dog from abroad, you actually then you don't mind if the dog is six months, providing it was reared sort of in a in an ethical and uh, in, in, in a good good environment. Uh, uh, but uh, it clearly means sort of you are not uh, uh, sort of confused just by oh having a cute puppy. You are really interested in the dog if you take it yeah. on with six months, because then this whole puppy sort of, uh, uh, yeah, what shall I say, sort of this, this uh, puppy uh, uh, fantasy is, is, is not playing a role. You are yeah. interested in a canine friend, in a canine partner, in a canine family member. And that is that what we really should push. Mm. Absolutely. But so as I so said, I mean, it is, uh, it is, uh, I was going to say some good stuff's happening. Yeah, and uh, sorry, uh, we are. It's okay. It's okay. Amongst yeah. and amongst other things, there's some really good animal welfare stuff coming out of the government next month in what's called the Queen's Speech. That's the official opening of Parliament. Mm -hmm. So, primary legislation mm -hmm. bills is is the yep. plan of the next year's laws, and there's a lot of animal welfare stuff going in, and there should be some interesting news for for all animal lovers, not just dog lovers. So. Um, I think May the yeah, May the eleventh. Okay. Keep an eye on the BBC News for the Queen's speech and the debate that follows, and okay. uh, there should be some interesting stuff in there. You have heard it in the Fikaba vet chat first. <laughs> Fingers That's crossed. An exclusive. Or should I say, pause <laughs> crossed, great. because you never yeah, know until yeah. it's it's said, yeah. and it will still have some work to go through how the Houses of Parliament because it's primary legislation. But from what we're hearing. Um, some really positive things are about to happen in the UK with regard to animal welfare and dogs. Yeah. But then, I mean, you didn't you didn't stop there. I mean, it is sort of we, we had Lucy's law. Then, I mean, you got uh, generally very much involved sort of also in, uh, uh, in issues with street dogs. Uh, now you have, mm. for example, stop the crop um, uh, uh, about ear cropping. Uh, that's at the moment sort of a, a, a very sort of a, a very very big issue, which is uh, 
in uh, uh, in the media sort of it just seems then to it goes from one animal welfare issue into think, several others hmm? so there's there's two reasons why that's happened first of all part of my campaigning in westminster was to set up the all-party parliamentary group for dog welfare right which was set up from scratch and it was the only way at the time in 2017 of actually holding the big organizations to account that were trying to block us and sabotage us and refuse to support us mm. and it was the only platform that we could invent that we could call them in to give evidence at my committee right mm. i mean from someone that went from zero knowledge of politics to now be running what's called an, uh, an all-party parliamentary group mm. quite something and and, and but mm. what that's Absolutely. progressed to is overseeing other people's campaigns so i've got obviously the experience of being a successful campaigner in westminster and also now the the absolute privilege of working with some of the most incredible campaigners uh, that I, I know so um jordan shelley is heading the flop not crop or cut the crop as the bva re renamed it you've got banning greyhound racing you've got the pet theft reform you've got all these spin-offs of campaigns that you know we've got the e-petition system in this country which is incredibly successful for bringing these subject matters to westminster to be discussed by mps and ministers just to and, just to explain yeah. on that one in the uk it's so if uh, there's an e-petition and more than i think 100,000 people sign the e-petition then by law it has to be discussed in parliament mm, so they can't ignore it sort of it's an it's in such a big movement. The issue is of such an importance that it needs to be given the necessary time to be discussed in Parliament. Yeah, and and what what those discussions bring, you never really get a result as such in terms of we're going to do this because all these people have signed a petition. But what you get is the briefings being sent in by the opposition organisations to the MPs. And that is the gold for, for an e-petition debate. It's all well and good, everyone voting on it and saying, yes, yes, yes. And then the government will always say, we'll think about it and, and come back to you. But the it's the briefings from the opposing, whether it's industry or whether it's um, corporate charity sector, those are the briefings that you need to then dissect and then go back to the MPs and ministers and say, actually, this is all speculation. This is the evidence. So that's what that unravels, and and I've learned the hard way because I've, I've I've done three, I've 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 run three petitions now, all all to a hundred thousand, um, and I and I am now this sort of <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. I'm now like this go-to guy for can you look at this petition? Can you introduce me to this person? How do we do it? Da 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 da, which leads me on to a little bit of breaking news. Is that I'm? I've just got the green light from my from my Lucy's Law Publishers, and I'm going to write a book which comes out next spring called um, It's going to be called Be More Mosquito: How to Change the World for Free, and it's based on a Dalai Lama quote, which is If you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito. So it's called Be More Mosquito: How to Change the World for Free, and every chapter is going to be something that everyone can do, everyone have has access to, and it costs nothing to change the world and make it a better place not just for animal welfare but across the board so I, I my vision is to replace this sort of online toxicity and blaming and finger pointing and oh it's someone else can sort it out with actually we can all do something to improve the situation whether it's retweeting something sitting on the toilet 
to mm. leading a full-on campaign to changing mm. the law, public behaviour, uh, making a difference. So um, I'm going to I'm going to put down everything I've learnt over the last ten years on paper, and that will be almost like a, a handbook for people that are interested in making progress, changing the law, or even just um, changing public behaviour or raising awareness. So that only got decided a few days ago. So you're the first to hear it. <laughs> Okay, another exclusive. There we there go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there so yeah, it's um, it's it's an interesting time, and we're making a lot of progress. And 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 also with the app dog, which is what the all party parliamentary group for dog welfare is called, we have uh, meetings. We've had quite a few meetings over the lock, last lockdown. We bring issues to about collaboration and about um, the import of European uh, rescue dogs. Um, you know, real issues that are sort of being talked about, but we, and it's my job then to line up and invite the speakers. We've had 500 people on every single Zoom meeting um, and we try and make progress and we try and bring people together um, to, let's say, virtually swap business cards and off they go and, and, and make, you know, bring, for me, it's all about collaboration. You don't achieve anything unless you collaborate, you get consensus. And then you can actually go off and, and, and experts can join together and pull their resources and off they go. But we're past now. We're in, a, we're in an incredibly exciting time with regard to campaigning because we've all got these resources available to us. So for the e-petitions, meeting MPs, mm. holding rallies, doing events, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we can actually make progress and change laws without any resources whatsoever. So in the olden days, it was the big charities they had the, the money, they had the PR departments, they had the ear of the government. Um, but, the, the, but embarrassingly, and this not, doesn't go for all of them, but what we saw, especially with my campaign, is that they didn't do anything. Well, or they were possibly actually criticising you. Mm. Well, or and benefiting from the status quo, which is controversial, mm. but, you know, if we had another few hours to talk, I could explain it. But mm. basically, it's for me personally, my experience was the smaller charities, the mid to small size charities were the ones that supported us and wanted change and effectively wanted to be out of a job because they didn't want all this over overpopulation and too many rescue dogs. Mm. Um, and then you had the corporate charity sector that seemed to be quite happy to keep the status quo. But now all the charities and the, uh, sorry, the campaigners and the and the petitions and all this activity that's going on with minimal resources is actually changing stuff now. Um, and as I say, it's quite an exciting arena to be in. Um, so yeah, watch this space because there's a lot of things about to change. Animal welfare is one of the key subjects of interest also for all veterinary professionals or companion animal veterinary professionals in Europe. And uh, that is what FICAVA is promoting. And we have uh, several campaigns, for example, um, uh, uh, dealing with um, uh, street dogs or, for example, with uh, responsible breeding, especially with uh, the Boas problem, for example. So we have uh, worked very, very hard for, for yeah, well, pretty much since the existence of our organizations on that one. So um, I can only say sort of if you have any information to share, please do so also because I mean you are an inspiration not only in the UK I mean also for a lot of other European veterinary professionals how to do these things and I mean that was one of the reasons why I wanted to have you in Tallinn because I mean you can show 
other colleagues who would like to do something like that, how to do it. And things that work in the UK very well will work in the same way or might work, work in the same way also in other European countries. And only if we learn from each other and look over a little bit over each other's shoulder, in the same way as you look over the shoulder of a colleague when you are doing clinical practice. Absolutely right. It's a, an ongoing learning process. And it's sometimes sort of little tricks that makes the, the difference, especially when it comes to PR, when yes. you want to promote the thing. I find it very frustrating. I mean, there is scientific paper after paper after paper sort of that is highlighting the problem and that is trying to, 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 to uh, produce evidence-based um, uh, uh, proof uh, that uh, certain dog breeds have uh, 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 severe difficulties because of the conformance of the uh, uh, conformation of the body. Um, uh, and yet, sort of, it will not touch the general public. But then you have one A-lister who stands up and says, Actually, sorry, I, I don't want to be photographed uh, uh, with a dog with, uh, this, uh, 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 with, this, with this disability. Uh, it might look cute, but just listen to this dog. If one A-lister sort of just makes a comment like that, it has a much, much bigger impact on, uh, uh, on, the, whole pro, uh, uh, on the whole idea or on the whole subject. And I mean, that's as a is somebody who is sort of well a child of the enlightenment somebody who had a sort of a scientific sort of upbringing a university study it is sometimes frustrating because well you 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 try to stick just to the evidence and to the raw data but you you realize the raw data will not do it you need people who um who who can change opinions and it's sometimes just one or two people but that if these are people well, which are sort of, uh, yeah, uh, uh, who are responsible for the opinion of the of, of, of a certain group of the generation, they can make that with few comments or just a clear statement and, and they will achieve much, much more. Okay, so what you're saying is absolutely spot on. It couldn't be more right. But it is, I have to stress, it's all part of the bigger picture when you have oh, a yeah. campaign. Because, because you can have celebrities and A-listers and influencers saying whatever you like. But when it comes to policymaking, it has to be the evidence. Absolutely. And, and my job, I guess, job, I haven't got paid for campaigning. <laughs> um, but my job or, or some of the leaders of the other campaigns, you've got Jordan Shelley and the Flop Not Crop. You've got Dan, um, Dr. Dan Allen with... Um, theft reform um is to be the glue and to almost i use the word ambush because i think it's 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 really descriptive of, of what you do you basically set up um the celebrities you've got the evidence you've got organizations behind you you've got cross-party support and you set up an ambush so that the decision maker at the end of the day has nowhere to go and so you've so the evidence is essential. It's essential for campaigners like myself because when mm. I fronted the Lucy's Law campaign, I was the one going into Westminster. I was the one meeting the MPs. In the end, we were going into number ten, and we were presenting evidence. 
and some of the big organizations that were blocking us were presenting speculation and evidence will always beat speculation especially and this is why when i say about the opposition sending the briefings to mps in the debates that's usually speculation and the evidence always beats it so it's always good to know what the speculation is that they're trying to convince other people to to think otherwise so yes the celebrities and the influencers make a massive difference ricky gervais incredibly powerful in terms of social media what he says how he behaves become a very good friend of mine uh just to keep pinching myself because you know he's always been a hero but these people also love animals and they want to do what they can and they may retweet something or they may tweet something or they may turn up at my dog show and it's 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 massive and, it, and they always play it down um <laughs> um but it's it's incredible and people like peter egan and people like brian may and and other celebrities and influencers in the uk they everyone plays a part even someone in the middle of nowhere who signs and shares that petition plays a part in change and interestingly another thing that i've noticed over the years is when people haven't got the money that they maybe had in the past to donate to charities a way of giving is to share something is to sign something is you know is to comment on something and that sometimes i think makes more influence in terms of changing and improving animal welfare than actually just donating to a charity mm. so that whole side of things has changed as well people are more like to sign and share the culture of signing signing and sharing is just growing and growing people love to feel like they're doing something they love to feel empowered that they're part of the solution and that's another thing that our job is as campaigners is empowering people thanking people relationship building making them feel and they're part of the solution and you're taking them on the journey with them to the extent where i ended up sourcing the rescue dog for the prime minister you okay. know um few you know there was a rumor going around downing street that they wanted they were thinking about getting a dog so boris mm. and his uh, fiance carrie i contacted carrie because i knew her from campaigning and mm -hmm. I said, um, I know you're thinking about getting a rescue dog, but I need to tell you a few things first to help you make that decision. Mm -hmm. So I met with with Carrie. She said, come to number 10. And uh, she said, come to number 10 tomorrow. I'll pick you mm -hmm. up at four o'clock. You can come up to the flat. Uh, the flat being a huge three-story mm -hmm. mansion inside mm -hmm. number 11. Yes, um, we, we've all heard about it, especially in the last few days. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's the flat. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. Well, then anyway, before or after it was renovated? <laughs> uh, before, because Good. I remember going there and they'd only just moved in because he'd only just become prime minister. And there were yeah. still boxes yeah. of stuff and they hadn't chosen the art yet from the uh, from the government art collection. Anyway, mm -hmm. and it was so, so new to carry. In fact, they said, do you want a guided mm -hmm. tour? So we were running mm -hmm. around the flat and, and oh, saw the bedroom yeah. and the bathroom. And it was so funny. <laughs> anyway, chat, chat, chat. I explained about the campaign. I explained that really uh, the rescue dog they should be getting, which was a, from a, a volunteer run charity called Friends of Animals Wales, who only mm. deal in discarded breeding dogs or puppies that are going to be drowned because they've got problems. So chat, 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 and Carrie was like, amazing, that's the charity I want to get the dog from. So I did an email intro to the to the woman who runs the charity, the most amazing woman called Eileen Jones. And um, and that was it. And then 10 days later, I was in Spain on the beach getting drunk with my friends on holiday. I've just arrived and my phone rang and it was an English mobile number that I didn't understand. I didn't recognize. And normally I just ignore, but I was quite drunk and I thought, oh, what the hell? Let me just pick it up. And this voice went, hello. And I said, 
hello. And hello. Then, and he went, is that Mark? That sounds I, familiar. Yeah. I said, is that Mark? I said, yeah. He goes, it's Boris here. I'm with Carrie yeah. and we've decided on Dylan. Now, how can we make this happen? Now, I'm sitting with my mates drunk in Spain at a beach bar. So obviously I have to put him on I loudspeaker. I have the British Prime Minister on right? the phone. So he's on loudspeaker. And yeah. he said, uh, are, you, are, you, are you abroad? And I was like, yeah, I'm in Spain. Yes, I'm, I'm terribly uh, sorry to interrupt your holiday. I said, Prime Minister, you can call me whenever you like. <laughs> so my point with this is, and obviously Dylan is a, has been a huge success. He had an undershot jaw. Yeah. He was going to be drowned. He's he, you yeah. know, very famous dog now. But my point with this is, and there is a point, to go from um, not knowing anything about politics to then sourcing a rescue dog for the Prime Minister, also, when Lucy's Law was passed, they gave me and my campaigning team a garden party in number 10. Mm. And we had uh, celebrities and campaigners, blah, 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 and friends and family. But we also had ex-rescue breeding dogs from Wales in the mm. running around the garden and Downing mm. Street kitchen baked them bone-shaped treats. So these dogs mm. have come from hell and now they're running around one of the most prestigious addresses in the, in the, in the world. And also, when we left the garden party, I gave an impromptu speech from the steps of number 10, which only prime minister was allowed to do. But the, apparently yeah. the security security looked over <laughs> and went, I'll just let him get on with it. <laughs> I was holding yeah. a dog. And it, I just, yeah. it, it just, my point is, it just shows what you can do with no resources, but just to be obsessed to the point of making these changes because it's the right thing to do. And I'm very privileged to have been influenced by, A, my dad, who is not no longer with us, but he was in advertising, creative. So I always grew up around campaigning in terms of advertising campaigning, fonts, logos, um, branding, especially branding. He was a brand, mm. brand genius. And as you know, my grandma, who passed away a, a few weeks yeah. ago, who, was mm. a, who escaped from the Holocaust and I've, taught I've, me that anything is possible. I've, I should have interviewed her as well. I mean, you could have done it in German. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe yes, yeah, as well. But she she taught me that anything's possible and to never give yeah. up. So yeah. I have a very unique background in in sort of the creative, the survival, and the mm. never giving up. My mum still with us, massive animal lover. So that's kind of the third piece of the pie. Um, so I do appreciate that I'm not like the other boys in yeah, terms of yeah. my background, but I want to use what I've learned. As I say, I'm going to write a book about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share, as you know, like, what, like we did in Estonia, I'm happy to share with anyone that's interested what I've done and, and, and how they can do it too. And mm. that's my passion is to educate on every level. Um, so the best might be, I think you have a, uh, don't you, your Facebook fed, uh, uh, page, is, uh, page is Mark the Vet. Mark the Vet, no. Facebook page, yeah. Twitter's both Mark the Vet, Mark with a C, named mm -hmm. after the French painter Mark Because Chagall. I'm pretty sure that uh, some of our viewers or listeners might like to 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 look up and, and might like to, to learn more about you. Yeah, and, and if they want to message me and ask me questions, they can too, without, you know... I'm happy to do that and and I'm all about sharing as hopefully that's been become obvious sharing what I've learned sharing my experiences sharing how to make change with the minimal resources 
Um, and at the end of this year, touch wood, fingers crossed, we would have changed five laws. And that's coming from someone who had no idea about law, politics or history eight years ago. It's crazy, right? Mark, you are, <laughs> you are an inspiration to us all. It was absolutely Thanks. great fun talking to you. And I mean, we could on go for another two hours. Oh, yeah. Yes, maybe maybe we have a second one at a at, at a later yeah, point. Yeah, in a few just months' time, we can have, have a, a have a look how two. things sort of panned out. It's of course. just so interesting. So um, I hope that everybody enjoyed this uh, episode of Recover Vet Chat. If you would like to contact us, please do so. Uh, our email address is vetchat at fikava.org or please use the Fikava social media sites um again mark thank you very much for joining us and i hope I... <laughs> thank you <laughs> and i hope i see you again everybody next week for another episode of recover vet chat thank you thanks wolfgang appreciate it mm -hmm.